You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to the Techie Leadership Show. Today with me I have Nicole Jones. She has made numerous pivots at previous and pre, uh, <laughs> oh, it's so late. She has made numerous pivots at precisely the right time in her career, including transitions from a former head of investors relationships and corporate communications in both the finance and healthcare industries in a, into a highly sought after certifi- certified executive coach for numerous industries leading industry leaders seeking to unlock their true potential to realize their vision. Nicole's ability to communicate confidently in the boardroom has been enhanced by her years of experience as a classical trained vocalist and live performer. She is a dedicated mom of a seven-year-old with whom she practices Taekwondo and also creates and designs refs and memorials for her NJ rest design business inspired by the memory of her mother. Hi, Nicole. <laughs> Welcome to the How show. How are you today? Thank you for having me. How are you? I am good. I am good. I'm really looking forward to our conversation, especially yeah. with all, all the stuff you've managed to, to do. Um, do you want to add anything about yourself? I mean, that was probably a lot, right? So I don't know what I can kind of squeeze in there. Um, but I think we can probably just get started. You can start asking questions, and I'm sure if there's something that I forgot or want to add, it will probably come up in the conversation. Well, I'm curious about two facts about from your intro. Like yeah. you said, you made numerous pivots at precisely the right time in your career. How do you know when when is the right time to pivot? Well, you know, I say precisely the right time, and for me in my life. Um, it was really about when you started, when I started getting this feeling of this isn't working anymore, this isn't right anymore, there's a, there's a greater purpose, um, that was my, my time. And when I made that decision, when I finally gave in to the, uh, that feeling in my gut, my stomach, where I was like, oh, you're not really liking what you're doing anymore, or this isn't bringing um, either excitement to your life or to others, uh, when I finally gave that up and just decided to pivot to the next thing, it somehow always just fell in place for me. And that's really what I mean by that, precisely the right time. So I was able to kind of put it out in the universe. I got what I wanted. And then all of these wonderful things just kept kind of coming my way. And then I made another pivot. And then here we are again today with me being an executive coach. So that's what I mean by that. I decided kind of it was the pivotal right moment for me. And then it all kind of just started lining, aligning and working once I decided to make that decision. So basically when you get that feeling you're not fulfilled anymore by what you're doing, start looking for something else because... Yeah, reflect. I don't think we spend enough time to really take a step back and reflect to know are, are we really doing our purpose or am I passionate about what I'm doing every day? Uh, and lots of times when we're honest with ourselves, our answer will probably be no. Um, but we need to be honest with ourselves and give ourselves some of that time and space to decide that. And that is something really important, being, taking the time to reflect and think about what you're doing, if it's working or not, if you want to change, improve on it. Something that in our hectic lives, 
you don't get that much time to do it. that much time. You know, we, we don't. And there's sometimes things happen and it makes you be like, oh, wait, maybe I should, maybe this is, maybe I should be doing what I said I wanted to be doing. Or, and along the way, I've had these things that have been that sign for me, even though I felt it, look, I've not been a big risk taker in my life. And so I will sit on the sideline and be like, oh, I don't know, maybe not. I don't know. I don't want to. What if I fail? You know, and I'll talk a little bit about that later. But it's, it's when you start getting that nudge is what I call it. Uh, and start, yeah. And if you start getting like just frustrated, like everything is bothering you, what you're doing right now and no one's helping you and you're playing the victim um, in your role, I think it's time to to really look at that and say, why am I feeling this way? What's causing it? And how can I get myself out of it? Sometimes you can get yourself out of it and stay where you are. But sometimes that's exactly what you need that will push you forward to do something else that maybe you want to already be doing. That's really, really awesome. And oh, the second you. thing that I wanted to ask you is, yeah. you said you have the ability to communicate confidently in the boardroom. Uh-huh. And do you, would you have some tips on how to do it to be really effective in a boardroom? Yeah, I mean, look, I think that sometimes I, I'm a firm believer of when you're given a seat at the table, uh, you should be prepared and ready to take that seat. Uh, oftentimes we're called into a meeting and uh, I don't know, I didn't know I was going to be called into a meeting or I'm not ready. Like, why did they call me into the meeting? Like, it's uh, it's not my time. It's not my level. Um, but I always feel like if you've been called into the meeting and been called to give a seat at the table, then you're ready. And someone has belief in you that you are. So if you're getting invited to a big senior meeting or you're getting invited to deliver a big talk, you're ready. And you yes. got to get out of your own head to, to stop saying like, oh, I'm not ready. This is not for me. Like, why, why did they choose me to come on here? Like, what do I have to offer? It's first just having that self-confidence that I was meant to be here. And then once I'm here, I want to make sure that I'm prepared so that I can get people's ears to listen to what I have to say. But lots of times we play small because we're living in fear of maybe I'm not supposed to be here and what if I say the wrong thing? So people start asking questions and you may say yes, no, and that really expand upon those. So I, I really am a firm believer if you've been given the opportunity, take it and, and see where it takes you. Because somebody believes in you and if somebody else believes in you, by God's name, you should believe in yourself too. Yes, and really it should be the other way around first, right? You should believe in yes. yourself first, right? You should exactly. believe in yourself first. But, but sometimes we don't have that. So let's say you're having a moment and you don't feel like you're good enough or you're struggling through those internal feelings, but someone else sees you and pulls you into that. They're not going to pull you in there for them to look silly. Yes. They because they believe you, you're meant to be there. And that's, that's true. And it's all, it also, they want to help you grow and develop. Yes. And it's also an opportunity you have to take. You don't get that many opportunities when you get them. Take oh. them and, and try to shine the best that you can. And, and you know what? You show up. You show up. You show up. And the next time you'll get to show up even better. And the next time you get to show up even better. But sometimes our first time that we're given an opportunity, we're very nervous 
and worried that we're not going to say the right thing, be the right way, have the right etiquette in a meeting. And that's what stops us kind of being our good self, our best self in that meeting. So if we can kind of get in front of the fear, in front of those internal feelings, then the first time will be a little tricky, but you can build on that and get better and better with practice. Awesome advice. And now, based on your career, I'm really looking forward to your stories. Thank you. So without further ado, what is the biggest leadership success story you've witnessed personally? I would say the biggest um, success story that I had, I was part of the success story in terms nice. of helping another person move along. Um, I was head of investor relations of corporate communications in uh, one of the biotech companies that I worked for. And there was, uh, I was really busy. Our company was close to going through a phase three trial and moving on to getting our product actually approved and starting to sell. So my role became really, really busy. I was working um, with investors of the company and doing many things on Wall Street. So traveling to New York conferences, that kind of thing with the CFO and CEO. And I really needed an assistant. <laughs> I was just worried about like, I'm not getting all this admin stuff done. And, and we really didn't have a budget for me to get my sole own um, admin. But what, we, what my boss did allow us to do was to bring someone in who could work full time for um, the, one of the business units, um, one of the legal department units, and then for my department. And when we brought her in, um, everyone was just kind of using her. And what I mean by that is like, oh, I'll give her a, little, a few things to do. I'll give her a few things to do. Um, and I kind of stepped back and looked at that and I was like, you know, we're just, we're using her like, oh, she's just an admin. And I didn't like that feeling because when she would come in with me, I started thinking like, there's more to this than her falling under, I'm just an admin and I want to see what is it that she really wants to do. And so I started having conversations with her. I started telling her when we have our one-on-one -on -one meetings, bring in your agenda, let's start, I want you to start leading some meetings. So I started kind of helping her realize there's more that you add than being an admin to me and to the two others. And over time, I started watching her grow. Over time, she started thinking maybe she wanted to get into investor relations like myself. But then I left the company. Okay. And I got really worried that that was going to stop. And so when I interviewed the person that was going to take my role, I was like, can you please promise me, promise me that you're going to continue to work on work with her because she has come so far and I see so much potential in her and she really wants to go for it. And I did the work. Then the person after me did the work. And this woman is now in investor relations. She's thriving in that area. And it was just so good to see when someone has potential to meet them halfway and really just try to see how you can help them move their career forward. Because like I said about opportunity, someone gave me opportunity and continues to give me opportunity. And so I feel it's so important to look at others to see how you can continue to create opportunity for others and help them along. So she, I mean, she's doing amazingly well in the industry. And we often have talks where she'll say like, wow, like I didn't think that I was ever going to be doing this. I, I had no idea I was going to be doing this. And I'm like, well, 
you know, sometimes it just takes a conversation and being open with someone. So that was, that was so exciting for me just to kind of see her, a person who wasn't even thinking about doing this, really delve in, give it a try, work really hard, and is now doing well in that role. And that just shows that if you take the time and get to know your people that you're working with, invest some time in them, ask, see what motivates them, what, they want, what their aspirations are, and yes. invest in that and help them grow, they're going to do the work and also you're going to also feel better about yourself. But the, the, the key point that I like a lot about the story is that the fact that when you left the position, you weren't like, forget everybody. I never was here. I don't know you people anymore. You like took care of your team um, and said like, Okay, you, you you also did like the hiring for the person that would take your place, which is awesome. So you make sure that you, they got like a person that can handle the the workload. And yeah. also you make sure that they're going to treat your coworkers and your team like correctly. Discuss. And this, this transition is like really important, something that's missing a lot in, in different fields. It's not happening all the time. Yeah, I think people just you know, give their two weeks or a month or whatever is expected of them or whatever you feel in your heart that you want to give to a company. Um, and lots of times the relationships are severed because someone's not working out, right? Um, when people leave, whether good or bad, we need to thank them for their time. And I just felt in that situation I had been at that company for six and a half years. They had really helped me blossom in my career. And I wanted that for someone else. And I, and I wanted to make sure, although, like you said, I could have walked away and been like, okay, guys, good luck. Wish you all the best. It's a really yes. tough department. Good luck with this. You know, I wanted to um, get that person in a, the best position that they could be. Um, unfortunately, when I hired her, she didn't know she was taking over my role. And I did not like that we did not tell her that during the interview process. I'm a very transparent person, and I believe in giving people information for them to make a decision for themselves. So that was difficult for me. But day one when she started, when she thought she was going to report to me, I was like, here's the skinny. I'm leaving but I'm going to stay on for a month and let's get to business. Let's get to work. Let's get you to know everything that I do. And there's so much more that you can also bring to this role of skills that I don't have. Um, but it was important to not leave that, that position in shambles, you know? And so we yes. hired that person and then she did. She kept the promise of really making sure that she was going to help the assistant grow to get into an analyst role, investor relations analyst, a specialist, like she was able to kind of just bring her on where she could start taking some of the workload. And so at the end of the day, um, that was one of the most exciting things that I got to see. It was the first time that I had done a transition like that before. It was usually two weeks. I'm out. If I could leave earlier, I'd also <laughs> earlier, you know, so it was a moment of, you know, this was just the best case scenario. I left on my terms. Um, but I also asked if I could give a few terms if I was going to stay for a month, you know? Um, so it, it really worked out well. 
Yeah, and sometimes you get like a new opportunity that's so good for your career and you realize like it will take like years at this company and you want to switch. And if you can make it on, on friendly terms and also not affect the organization that you're leaving by getting somebody as competent as you to take your place and make sure they do the job correctly and train them a little, um, then you're always going to have like a good relationships with that organizations and can go back to them and maybe work yeah. with them later on. Yeah, absolutely. I stayed in touch with so many people at the company and still do today. So um, they're, they've been bought out a long time ago. They were bought out by a bigger pharmaceutical company, but um, it's always nice just to kind of see where either old bosses or other coworkers have, have continued to go in the industry. So it's been great. It's been great. It was one of it was probably one of the best areas that I actually um, got to grow in, and so I, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, and if you live in an elegant way, you don't know when a former colleague is going to call you up and say, "Hey, there's a great opportunity with this new organization. Come on." Yes. Yeah. That's why you don't burn your bridges. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You just never know where those bridges will take you, so you just kind of suck it up, Buttercup, and and figure it out so yeah or sometimes if you burn the bridges sometimes you're going to see former colleagues being the on the hiring panel that is going to hire you so many things can happen right but i i always like to just lead with the the kindness um value that i i cherish so much um i do believe in being kind and some people get that misconstrued with being nice uh and for so many years people were like oh she's so nice she's so nice it's like oh I'm kind because <laughs> I will tell you if I'm not really liking what's going on, I can be very direct. Uh -huh. So, um, you know, I'm very honest about what's, what's going on. So um, that was one of the most amazing successful stories to watch. I mean, there were so many that I've seen, but that was one that I just really enjoyed um, watching someone else really flourish. Yeah. And now moving to the dark side. What is the biggest leadership failure you had the unfortunate experience of witnessing? Well, uh, I, I, I'm going to be the, the person that was part of the story. Okay. So I'll share this with you. Um, I was brought to a company, um, you know, to do a specific role, to do investor relations and corporate communications. Um, and really from, from day one, when I started onboarding day one, I started realizing uh, there wasn't much buy-in from the senior team managers, leads, um, with my role. There was com communication issues, confusion about my title. I didn't know you were supposed to be doing that. I thought this was so-and-so's role. Like, it just became very, very muddy quickly at the company. Um, meetings were difficult. People would uh, cut me off. People would say you know you go into a meeting like you're not supposed to be in this meeting why are you in this meeting this isn't for your role this isn't for and it was just kind of like is do people want me here like it was just so yes. uncomfortable and when you're a new employee you you feel alone right because you're like i don't know too many people uh if i know anyone and i and i knew you know the cfo brought me there i'd worked with him before we had a great relationship <clears throat> and there were a couple other people that we'd worked with that were in the finance department so I was excited about it, but it just ended up not being the best situation in all of my career um, that I had. And so 
the, with the lack of communication, the confusion, the frustration, all that kind of stuff, um, it really set me up for failure. Like yes. I wasn't brought on with the sense of we're going to set this, this role up for success. Um, when you don't present a role effectively to a company or to the cross-functional teams that will be working with this role or to other senior management who will be working with this role and sometimes that person will be with them for, for certain projects, uh, you don't really set it up for that person to have a win. Yes. You know, and, I, and I really believe that when people are bringing in either a new role or a role that they've been trying to hire for some time, there needs to be communication to everyone, to the company. We're going to be hiring for this role. This is what they're going to be doing at the company. Um, some people thought that I was a mole when I came there. Like, are you doing like investigative work to find out if I'm doing my role or not? I mean, it was so much stuff that I was like, what is going on? <laughs> I would do my job. Someone else had already done it. So I'd spend time working in a presentation. Someone behind the scenes was working on the same presentation. I mean, it was just so much drama that I had just never been part of before, um, nor would I ever want anyone to be part of that. So at the end of the day, we had to bow out nicely. Um, okay. I lasted four months and basically asked for a mutual separation and left. It was just a very difficult time. And you can imagine from that, confidence can go down. Um, you know, just your will and understanding, like, am I really good at what I do? I, I usually can get along with anyone. I usually can figure it out. Um, but that's, that's like realness. That was just not a really good time. And the lesson from that was one, follow your gut. I thought at the very beginning, it may not be the right fit, but I was so close to the CFO that I just knew that he and I worked so well together. So, you know, maybe he's right. Maybe we can figure this out. Um, but if you have an inkling that something isn't going to work either for yourself as a hiree or as you about to hire someone else, yes. go with that inkling. Go with that inkling. Um, because usually it's not going to steer you wrong. It's never steered me wrong in my entire time of going with my gut, but also having some you know, analysis around it. Um, but companies need to be very clear on their processes when they bring people in and how they're going yes. to act at the company. People will have job descriptions, but somehow the job description really morphs within the first week or two or a month for the person to be like, wait a minute. Now, this is clearly not even close to the job description <laughs> so, that I find yes. on it. Like, so, you know, sometimes people need to bring someone in quickly and that's understandable. Um, but I think people need to get a little bit more real and honest with their process of what is it that we're really trying to find? Who are we really trying to find to come in here to fulfill this role? Like get honest with yourselves because I don't believe that role has lasted really ever. It's, it's been a high turnover at that company. So there feels like there's some kind of conflict or someone not really knowing 
what they want. And so there's no way for really someone to succeed in that situation. Yeah. And I found like on my own skin, the importance of being presented to the company because I had a similar situation like yours. Yeah. Been brought to a company to, and, but all, each of the senior leadership had a different view on what I was supposed to do. Uh, and uh, the CEO would send me in and nobody in the company actually really knew what I was supposed to do until there was a problem in their project and then I was sent by the CEO, go fix it. And yeah, it's like, burning oh, there. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it took a lot of work and then that's when I, I learned how to work in a company without having the title, the, the power of your title, working just through diplomacy and approaching people. And I, I really stumbled on this idea that there's, it's one thing to be a leader yes. and it's another to have the title. There's not the same thing and you can do a lot without having titles or people even knowing exactly what you're doing. As long as you work with them and you, you have enough finesse. And also I learned because I, I also was involved in hiring um, um, <clears throat> two senior people also. I, I helped hire the, the head of HR and I made sure that, that lady got really clear what she, what she was supposed to do and got make sure she was presented properly and also hired uh, a head for the technical department and also also there made sure that his introduction to the company was way way better than mine i mean those are and, those are important things and the one thing that i took out of that i mean there were there were so many things that i took out of that but one thing that i realized that became a, a very critical question in the interviewing process for anybody that's listening that that kind of sometimes struggles on questions to ask people if they're in an interview it's really you know what are my expectations what's the expectations of this role in the first three six nine twelve months um because if you get some clarity on that in an interview of your of the expectations of you then I do believe that starts kind of allowing people to kind of align to understand what is this person's role going to really be. Yes. And it's good that if they can, if everybody, especially on the senior leadership has the same view on the role, it's, it's not that present when you find out uh, like one week or two weeks into the job that everybody has a different <laughs> vision about what you're doing. It's like, uh-oh. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I, I even asked them, I, you even have a discussion like, get together, talk it out, let yes. me know what I'm supposed to do. Yes. And still it doesn't happen. So it's a, it's a, it's a messy situation. It drains you psychologically. But it also offers like a wealth of uh, personal growth. Yes, I do agree. Tough situation, so it, but, I, but I grew from it. Yeah. Exactly. And Nicole, based on all your experience, what would be your leadership philosophy? Well, you know, there's so many philosophies out there. Um, and I do think that we can have a set philosophy, but in certain situations, your philosophy may shift a bit. 
And what I mean by that is my philosophy is more democratic, meaning I'm about teamwork and collaboration and wanting to hear what people want to bring to the table. I'm going to lead, but I'm also going to ask questions of like, well, what are your thoughts about that? How do you feel about that? Anything that you think we're missing? Because I sometimes think that, you know, as a leader, while we may feel like we know everything, we obviously don't know everything. Yeah. And we also sometimes don't understand how what we think we know may potentially affect other aspects at the company or other people within a department. So that's why I always feel like it's great to get team players on board so that we're going for the, the same cause. There is um, often mutual responsibility where people are, are also able to work together and kind of shine and show their strengths through um, certain tasks that you're, that you're working on. So you're not going to have the, Hey, I'm better than you. I'm leading everybody. Just do as I say. I do think that that philosophy works in certain situations and it's great. I feel like I've worked for many leaders that are very much, we give you the directive of what you should do and then we come back. Um, but mine is a little different because I feel like that's how people can really um, grow and also have that true feeling and belief of, of um, teamwork. Um, I believe that I listen and respect and provide guidance and inspiration um, when and where needed. That's often things that need to happen for a leader and the people that you're working with. And then also, I've already mentioned this before briefly, but I really do believe that I lead with kindness, um, I'm empathetic, and I also try to be very thoughtful of the people that I'm working with. Not one person that you work with is the same. And I think about this when people are giving feedback or um, kudos to someone, congrats to someone. Some people yes. want to hear feedback at the moment. They don't care who who's around, however it comes back out. Some people would prefer to be behind doors to receive feedback, and some people may not want to even hear it. They may need to see it typed up to really have it sink in of something, you know, some really great constructive feedback for them. And that's the same thing for giving recognition. Some people just can't take that in an entire group of people where there's like 50 people looking at them and it's yes. like, hey, John, stand up. And you're like, no, not John. I don't want to see that many times where people are like, why are you calling me out in the entire group meeting? So that's where the thoughtfulness comes in. I like to look at each person as they are, meet them where they are, and work with them how they are feeling versus I treat everybody the same way. And if, if I'm going to tell John, good job, then Maggie and Teresa are going to also get the same in a meeting. And I don't really work that way. I think it's and that's probably part of who I am in terms of wanting to get to know people. Because when you yes. get to know people and walk around an office and get to know people, then a lot of these issues that bog us down about people and understanding people or soft skills and these kinds of things, it's because we don't take the time to really get to know a person. And it doesn't take long. Yes. And do you find out that by getting to know your people and investing in them, that actually your workload becomes lighter? Yes. Yes, it does. Because it also keeps people from the whole micromanagement um, thing that starts creeping up for people, right? The micromanagement um, curse. Yeah. And so the more, 
the more you know, the more trust is given, more of a, a found, strong foundation that you build with people. I mean, you know, the companies that I worked at in, you know, biotechnology, I was on the business side. I didn't work in, in the labs. Uh, and I'd always tell my CEO, like, hey, go down to the lab, walk around, see what people are doing. I don't have time to do that. You know, then I was like, okay, I'm going to order you guys a lab coat because I'm just going to kind of try to help facilitate, like, <laughs> to the lab, let's kind of check to see what people are doing. Now, then it was, then I'm just going to go down to the lab. They don't report to me, nothing. But I was very interested in understanding what are you guys doing down here? What are you working on? What are your concerns? I would help get ready for our, you know, our quarterly all company meetings. And I'd have to meet with yes. HR and I'd sit down with our CEO and we'd draft, you know, points that we wanted to give to the company and that kind of thing. And he'd be like, no one asks questions. I'm like, well, no one's going to ask questions because they don't feel safe. They don't feel comfortable. Um, but I did your work for you because I walk around the company. I'm not HR, but yes. I just it as part of, this is how you get to know people. I would have the noise factor tenfold because I walked around. You know, if I had a little bit of a break, if I had a 10 minute break, or if I saw that I had a 30 minute break in my, in my um, schedule, my calendar, I could really just sit in my office and just be like, oh, let me just sit here for, 10, for a few minutes just to catch my breath. <laughs> but you know what? I'd go downstairs and put a lab coat on and be like, you know what? We have an all company meeting in three weeks. Let me see if there's any noise that we really need to address. And I'd be like, guys, how, how's everyone doing down here? Like, what are some of the concerns that you guys are having? Completely anonymous. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I, people trusted me. People knew when I said it's completely anonymous that yeah, I wasn't was. run back to HR and be like, hey, so-and-so down to the lab told me <laughs> this is going on. And now if something that I felt was really heightened, then I would actually go to HR and I would tell them in the middle of the conversation, guys, this is kind of a heightened thing. Um, do you feel comfortable if I go to HR and just say that such and such thing is going on, but with no names? And they'd be like, yeah, it's okay if you do that. So for me, it's about building that trust, that rapport between people, for people to feel comfortable to be able to want to open up. Um, and for me, that whole, the, the whole democratic you know, philosophy is a way that I feel like you build you know, relationships, you build trust, you build um, innovation, you build, there's so many things that you build, again, aristocratic, um, I mean, autocratic, strategic, transformational, those kinds of things. It's not that those aren't good philosophies. It's just that I think sometimes you have to, you, you may have to switch on some of the philosophies. If you have a huge thing going on at the company, an emergency, well, we're probably not going to be very democratic about it. Yes. You know, I'm probably going to be like, I'm making the decision, turn the page. This is this. I will take all the blame <laughs> for whatever happens. Exactly. Right. So that that's the thing where um, sometimes we can have too much of one and not the other, and kind of. Yes. I would say I probably would morph between strategic and democratic. I, I don't. Uh, you know, autocratic is not really my. 
I'm not sure I'm really big on the, I, I, I decide everything and then I tell you what to do. Um, I'm more on wanting people to feel that they're empowered to make decisions and to make change. Yes, and you're absolutely right. It's not just do it this way. You need flexibility and to be to perform in any role. And I love your the fact that you used to talk with everybody in the company, not just your team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's. I, I do believe it's a it's a it's a whole. And while I enjoyed having my team, I'd always be like, "Hey guys, like get out and meet people." Yes. You're doing because you know what? In my 30 minutes walking around, or let's say, man, I had 30 minutes. Maybe if I just took the five, 10 minutes because people are working. So I wasn't trying to keep them from their job. There's so much that you learn. There's so much that yes. you learn. I can go downstairs in the lab. People aren't smiling. Hey guys, what's going on? No one's smiling down here. Oh, you know, they would, they would, they would open up and tell you stuff, you know, but it's just, yes. Just noticing things and these get into some of the um, other things like, you know, that we talk about in terms of things that leaders need to have. And I know that's something that you are very big on. So I'll let you, <laughs> I'll let you tell me what's, what's coming next, but I, you know, I have some ideas. <laughs> that's great. I was just thinking that this just shows that you don't have to have a title to be a leader. You just have to have the initiative and you can hone your leadership skills at whatever position, just by having conversation and talking and being opening conversation communication channels between different parts of uh, of the company, and in a way you might even be there, become like have more influence inside the company than the CEO himself, because yeah, and, and I and I also think that people get the word leader. I think there's a I think people get conflicted with that word. Um, because you can ask people like, what is a leader to you? Like, Oh, it's a CEO that runs a company. Um, no, it's not. Or it could be, you know, someone who runs a country or it could be, you know, and I'm like, no, I mean, you, you can be a leader in your house. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, yes. it's, it's, you know, and that's the thing. Like when we talk about, you know, you opened up about who I, who I coach and, you know, coaching people who need to really unlock their potential. Like lots of times, and what I mean by that, lots of times we get stuck in our roles, we're doing a lot of stuff, we're mentoring this person, we're coaching this person, we're doing this thing. And then we're like, oh, hi, me. What is it that you wanna do again? What are you trying to focus on? Um, but that can be at any level. Just because you're a CEO doesn't mean that you don't have things that you want to be working on. Yes. As a middle tier leader or a high potential leader at your company, um, it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. You know, it, it can be the PTA meeting. I mean, it's people who are leaders who are really looking to, uh, realize their vision is it's, it's not just a CEO. That is so true. And yeah. since we're talking about people growing into leadership roles, what would be your top three leadership tips for aspiring leaders? Well, it's funny because I was I was always thinking about this and I feel like things change the more that we grow in the industry yes. um, all these effective changes. And every year there's like, oh, you need to have a little bit more of this or leaders need to be more of this now. Um, one of the ones that really comes to mind for me right now is being a complex problem solver. Okay. Um, 
And I picked that one because of what we're going through right now with COVID. So many people were running companies um, and all of a sudden the virus comes and yes. you're told you can't go to your office. Can't go to your building. Everyone has to work from home. Well, think about all the poor, the poor leaders who are just like, you know, everybody has to come into the office. No one can work from home. Um, this is just how it is. I feel like hands-on is the <laughs> only way to do business. I worked for the majority of those companies. You know, my role was oh. never stay home, work from home kind of gig. I always had to be in the office. And I'd always think about that. And I'd be like, why do they feel that everyone has to be in the office? And I really believe the people that were thriving right out the gate with the virus were the people that were just creative and thinking, okay, we're going to make this work. All right. We're going to set up virtual accounts. We're going to make sure that everybody has, you know, we're just going to, we're going to make it work. Yes. And I think that there were groups of people who got stuck first week, second week, stuck still after a month. Team, I mean, team, team members were getting upset because they didn't feel like they had any kind of pulse at the company. No one's sending out any kind of updates. Like, I think we <laughs> kind of fell apart because what happened was it was also a mental thing uh, and, and person-specific effect. So if you had a, a leader that may be like, yay, rah, rah, but yeah, team members that were just like, I'm not feeling this. This is really difficult. And I never expected to work from home. And, you know, if you have someone that gets in, it's like, hey, we're just going to give it a try. We're going to figure this out. We're going to have just update meetings. I want to feel how everyone's feeling. I know this is going to be tough, but we're all in this together. Um, being a complex problem solver, I, I, I think is huge in 2020 and I think it's gonna to continue to be big because I don't think our world is going to change in getting difficult things that come our way. So I think you have to be able to think outside the box and come up with something uh. that work for your company. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be doing everything that all the other companies are doing. I do believe you have to be the thinker for your unit but also, even though in these moments that whole autocratic philosophy comes up, I think in these times and some of the problem solvers or complex problem solvers will sometimes also think democratically because they'll be like, we need teams, we need committees, we need groups that are, you know, yes. they start thinking about, what, do people have other skills that we don't know about? Because it's, it's in those dire crisis kind of times or the people that kind of rise to yes. the top people that can kind of just like, okay, I got to just see the tree in the forest, not all the forest, so that we can survive. So that's a big one that I think about. Another one, I mean, there, there are two that are just common, right? I can harp on communication and listening until I can't harp on it anymore. Mm -hmm. But communication for me, I feel like it never goes out of style. Um, for it's sure. important for people to understand how best to communicate with who you are communicating with. And an example of that is oftentimes um, I'll have a couple people that I'm coaching that will be like, yeah, you know, I was trying to get in touch with my manager or trying to figure something out and they're, you know, they're not responding to me. They haven't even opened my email. They haven't blah, blah, blah. I'm like, do you know if they like to be communicated through email? 
Yeah. No, I just assume every, you know, we're all on email. So I just assume that's how they like to be communicated. What if they want to call? What if they oh, don't want to? I like the phone. Yeah. Yeah. They just want to call and uh, they don't like to email all of their thoughts for a trail of information. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe if you're working on site, they want you to come down to their office and tell them something that's important in person instead of hiding behind email. And these are the things of just understanding whether it's your manager, a supervisor, boss, whatever you want to call these people, how they like to be communicated to, but also how you like to be communicated to. Um, we also don't sometimes think about ourselves. We can kind of go along with others, but sometimes it's good to check in to be like, you know what, I actually do better if I can just like call you quickly because typing everything, I sometimes feel like I can lose context. And that's another thing about email. There's a lot of context that's lost. Plus, email is asynchronous. Um, I, I think of email, if you send me an email, I'll reply when I get to it. It's not urgent. Yeah, it's not urgent for people, you know? And so that's, that's the thing. And then the other thing is listening. Um, it's more than just listening with your ears. And in some cases, in certain meetings, and I'm sure you've been part of those too, where you're talking and people just can't wait for you to finish so they can just say exactly what they have to say. That's yes. not listening. Yes, it's not. Right? Um, I say use all of your senses because most of the time we can pick up on cues that aren't being mentioned. Yes. You know, has. you can see how someone's wearing it on their face. You can see how someone walked into a meeting. You can, there are just cues that if we're just quiet enough, focused enough, we see. And then it starts making you think like there may be something else going on there. I needed to re I need to remember to follow up with so-and-so and just check in to see if everything's okay. You know, but communication yes. and listening while we harp on those so often, I still feel like we have to continue. It, uh, it's hard. It's not that easy. <laughs> We've been trying to communicate for such a long time Century. and it's still, <laughs> yes so much material dedicated to it and we're still feeling that it. it's it's one of well, those situations it's, kind of emotion. it's emotion that goes into it. it's like well if i say that what's the person going to say i don't know if i that too much information to give like we we give the internal dialogue with ourselves it's like oh my goodness <laughs> can you just spit it out maybe we'll see right <laughs> We'll see. Uh, it's your internal dialogue is the other person's internal dialogue and how it all comes together, the situation, the ambience, everything plays a part yeah. and yeah. it's hard to make it everything perfect. Yeah, the I perfect agree. communication situation. Yeah, well, perfect. And what would be the book that had the most profound impact on you? So much, so many books, so much time. Sometimes not enough time, right, to finish. But um, I would say the book would be Taming Your Gremlin. Taming Your Gremlin. Taming Your Gremlin by Rick Carson. And a gremlin is also just another way of talking about your inner voice. So for some oh. people that haven't heard the word gremlin, uh, it's also your inner voice. And our gremlin or inner voice can really take us to take over right it can appear to be our friend um yes. it can often be times be like an advisor or, or or guidance for us and then it can also work as our enemy you know our gremlin is there really to protect us that inner voice is like hey hey have you thought about this and 
when people are feeling comfortable about, you know, what they're doing or who they're about, they are, they are able to find ways to say, Hey, I got this. I'm good. Good. Right. But when we find ourselves in vulnerable moments, uh, starting a new career, transitioning into a, a new role, whatever it is, you know, that's when that little gremlin creeps in. I call mine sabotage queen. She comes in. Sabotage I'm going to write, write a book about her. I kid you not. I'm going to write a book about her. Hopefully in the next five years. Um, but yeah, mine's called sabotage queen. And mine comes out really when I am thinking starting something new when I really don't have all the information and I, but I'm excited and I really feel like it'll be a win for me is when she's like, yeah, right. They're going to laugh yeah. at you know what you're talking about, you know? And so then it, then that story and the dialogue happens and then really it just like, it, it just keeps you in that space. It's like you're in the, you're in the car that's stuck in snow and the tires are, trying to get out and you're like, Oh my gosh, how am I going to get all four tires out of the snow? I don't have chains. I don't, I don't have snow tires. Like, how am I going to do this? Right. And you start getting out little by little, you start putting a little bit of sand or some gravel to get some kind of friction and then you can kind of pop yourself out. Right. Um, but those things happen over time. It's not an overnight snap your finger. Uh, and it's like, Oh, all, all set. I'm good. It, it, it takes, uh, practice. And it takes strong awareness, right? When you start oh, yes. being aware that, oh my gosh, this, this person like crept up, like my inner voice crept up. Okay, I know it's triggering this. I understand why this decides to come visit. I got it. But sometimes people think that, you know, we're just going to get rid of the inner oh. voice. It never goes away. <laughs> it's always going to be there. But it's really about having the awareness. This book is really about telling you, like having the awareness and understanding of how you are able to manage and effectively maneuver in your life with this inner voice. Flash from one. Yeah. So very and powerful. If you, and if you can find a way to turn it into an ally and even help you. Yeah. That's even better because you, you're always talking with yourself and it's good going back like what we talked about at the beginning is taking time to reflect and listen to yourself and what's going on and listen to your God. Uh, <clears throat> and that's when you're going to get really big personal benefits from, from it. So it doesn't take a lot of time, but it takes discipline to do it constantly to check in with yourself because you, it's easy to forget to do it. <laughs> easy right and in the midst of craziness and you're just like oh it's here it's popped up I'm stuck oh you know and then it's kind of like okay why am I stuck or why am I allowing this to keep me stuck you know it's it becomes like self-coaching for people you start the more aware you are the easier it is to try to like I said handle these situations handle the potential trigger moments that set you off of like, here it is, put your guard up, not ready for this right now. Um, and so you're right, it, it, it takes the practice, the dedication, um, but awareness is always the first for anything. Just be aware of that you, that's happening to you and that it comes up, but you're never gonna get rid of it. Yes, <clears throat> looking in the mirror is one of the hardest <laughs> things you can do in life. 
and being honest with yourself what you're seeing, not lying to yourself about what you're seeing. Right, there. It's always easier to lie, right? It's 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 very hard, I think. Um, you know, we're able to see faults whether we should be looking or not in other people, right? It's very easy for us to say, oh, so and so. I saw someone say they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing or but we can pick it out like that. And the reason why that happens is because we're not comfortable with ourselves. Right. So it's easier to pick it out in somebody else than it is for us to take the step back and call it what it is for ourselves. And so we keep playing that record until we decide to say, "Uh Oh, probably need to call myself out on this one. I think I need to have a little time out and kind of do some internal work just to kind of get myself through this moment i agree oh, with yes. you very and you're honest. absolutely right that it's easier to see faults in others and not in ourselves like uh, a romanian saying that loosely translated would be it's easier to see a straw in another person's eye than to see the log in your eye oh wow that's a good one i like that that's a pretty well that's pretty um interesting i like that i like that uh, but it's, it's true it's true yes it's true. It's it's really easy, and the funny thing is that usually the faults you see in other people are the same faults that you have yourself. And, and that's why we are harping on those people. Yes, because we are the ones that are having the problems ourselves. But it's so much easier to be like, look at those people. They need to lose yeah. weight. You've been talking about losing fifty pounds for how long? Like it's like one of those things that goes on and on and on and on. And then you when you stop and it gets quiet and you start thinking about things and then you're like, wow, I still haven't said, I'm still not doing what I said I was going to be doing. Hmm. Hmm. It's a way to deflect. Yes. Yeah. That's easy to do. <laughs> and Nicole, if people yes. want to find out more about you, where should they go? Um, well, I have a website. It's Nicole Jones coaching.com uh, that I have. I'm on LinkedIn as Nicole P. Jones, actually. There's so many Nicole Joneses uh, in the world. <laughs> so very common name. So the P um, is in there. And then I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. And then if you want to email me, it's Nicole at NicoleJonesCoaching.com. So. Awesome. I'm going to put all these references in the show notes so people can more easily find you, especially on LinkedIn. Nice. <laughs> it's nice. not that nice. easy. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, Nicole. My mind is blown by the wealth <laughs> of information and everything that we discussed. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. Thank you. Okay, bye. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe, and share, please. Oh, you can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.